It's the climate, stupid. Or so this Hollywood election would have us believe, as all our political hopefuls turn to the environment in a bid to win your vote. But what will that look like after the ballots are counted in a little under two weeks' time? I'm Sean Milne, and welcome to episode four of the Scotsman's Sustainable Scotland podcast, where we're focusing on the people and organisations moving the dial towards making Scotland a more sustainable country to live in. Today we ask, is Scotland really on the cusp of becoming a renewable energy superpower? I'm delighted to be joined by Richard Marden, Head of Business and Project Development onshore and wind with Statcraft UK, a key part of Oslo-based Statcraft, Europe's largest generator of renewable energy. Hello Richard, and given today's date, happy world birthday. Hi Sean, and uh, thanks for inviting me on to, to chat about Statcraft and talk about what we're doing in the UK and Scotland in specific, specifically, and yeah, what great timing. You know, it's Earth Day, there's a, there's a summit going on in the US, Joe Biden is now embracing this climate crisis when his predecessor ignored it. So, uh, and the UK government has just, you know, embraced the, the sixth carbon budget earlier this week as well, which is setting some pretty dramatic targets for sort of 78% of emissions by 2035. So yeah, what an exciting time to talk about what we're doing and, and what the, the whole country can do to, to fight this battle against climate. So yeah, thanks again for inviting me along. Well, clearly our invite got lost in the post to the Biden summit today, but it was it, it broke about an hour or so ago before we started here. I think that he's alluding to 50 to 52% reduction in emissions for America. Yes, I saw that too. Incredible. And that's something that caught my eye on your company's website in terms of the direction of travel it's going in. It says, Statcraft envisions a world that runs entirely on renewable energy. We believe that renewable energy can power every industry, every business, every community, and every home. Now, notwithstanding what you've just said about the, the people working towards that, that's still a pretty bold and ambitious statement. So for maybe those people who are unfamiliar with Statcraft, can you tell us a little bit more about the company, You know, its size, its direction of travel, what it does, and how it can really, like these other countries, deliver on that vision? Yeah, thanks. Well, yeah, it is a bold statement. And I think we have to be bold. You know, you can't go through half measures to try and deal with this crisis. So if you cannot set yourself a bold target and ambitious targets, then you're always going to set set yourself up to, to fail. And and I think Statcraft um, can, can deliver on that. You know, we've been going for more than 125 years. You know, we were set up in the late 19th century. And you know, based on, I guess, you know, Norway's rich hydroelectric uh, history um, and large dams. And, you know, through that and through some good investment at that time, and some of those dams are still operating, you know, 100 years later, you know, Norway is now, you know, fully, fully renewable. And so, you know, they're, they're carrying on that vision and that goal <clears throat> and applying it around the world. As you mentioned at the beginning, we are the largest renewable energy generator in Europe. We now have, you know, four and a half thousand employees scattered around 17 countries. We're doing a lot, but not many people know our name and, and know what we do. So it's great to have this opportunity to talk about it. Um, we've got 370 power plants around the world. And we've just recently completed the construction of Europe's largest onshore wind project in, in Norway called Fusen, which is 200 and 
77 turbines. So that's a significant development um, up there. And, you know, we've been in the UK for, for more than 15 years as well. So we are, we're, we're long-term investors with an investment-grade rating being owned by the Norwegian government. And we're here to, to invest in the UK. We've already um, built three wind farms in Scotland, and they're operating now successfully. There's two in construction uh, at the moment. And since 2019, where we've really, you know, probably 2017 is when we've really ramped up our efforts once again, due to, I guess, after following the bit of a, a hiatus of, of policy in 2015 and all that stuff around Brexit and 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 scrapping the subsidy, we've really ramped up from 2017, and our, our Scottish office has tripled in size since 2019. Um, so we're committed to to investing in renewables in Scotland, and uh, and we now believe you know onshore wind is is the cheapest form of any uh, electricity going. You know, ten years ago it had to rely on subsidies to get it going. Um, it may be not as as productive or as efficient as it is today, but now it beats everything hands down, and we need to make the most of that. And why Scotland? You know, you've alluded to the fact you're in all these other countries. You know, and Norway itself has gone, you know, 100% renewable. You know, that evolution from hydro into wind and solar and everything else. Scotland's a, a guide-to-reek place sometimes, you know, with the, the rain and the wind. So maybe it's a, a natural phenomenon. But why would a company like Statcraft look to Scotland and think, you know, there's, there's opportunity here? Yeah, I mean, you you noted it. The obvious the obvious remark is it's very windy, but uh, you know that's that's uh, not not the, the be all and end all of it. You know, Scotland has shown huge leadership in harnessing it renewables. There's there's way more. Uh, renewable projects built in Scotland and the rest of the UK combined. Um, the Scottish government has always been at the forefront of of the policy changes and, and targets for renewables. And of course, Scotland has a big history in energy. Of course, in the old days, it was, you know, oil and gas, but now it's now it's renewables. And there's a very uh, skilled workforce, a very open minded approach to development. And, you know, at, at sort of 78,000 kilometers squared, um, quite a lot of, of land to hopefully put some renewable projects on. So, um, you know, that that is some of the reasons behind us being in, in Scotland. And actually, you know, it's uh, it's only 500 miles from Scotland to Norway. It's further to, to Land's End. So um, in some ways, Norway is a closer neighbor maybe than the, than the rest of, of the UK. Well, that's a chunky old job title you've got there as well. You know, you're, I mean, your business cards must be an absolute riot. You know, but obviously, I'm not picking up any any Norwegian from you either. So, I'm I'm curious to know how did you, you know get involved with Statcraft personally, and more importantly, how did you get involved in the renewable sector yourself? Yeah, no, you you can tell from the accent that yeah, I'm not Norwegian or not Scottish either. Um, but no, I've um, well, where do I start? Um, I suppose. I've been in I've been in power and infrastructure for for more than thirty years. I sort of graduated in engineering in the late eighties. Um, uh, worked in in ten or so countries around the world, and then then probably discovered uh, how exciting kilowatts were in in the early nineties. Uh, worked for an American power company in across Eastern Europe, trying to you know, when they were deregulating and trying to clean up their 
their industry across sort of Hungary and Bulgaria, particularly, and you know, looking at some pretty nasty coal plants and oil plants and 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 coal mines, and and uh, hopefully, and I think that's true that, that none of those are operating now. But and then in the late nineties, uh, the, the, the firm looked looked towards. Um, uh, renewables, and I was looking at a wind project in Morocco in in the late nineties. But uh, like like everyone's career and and everyone's life, you know, I'm a, a great believer in fate. There was a a, a real turnaround in in two thousand one, sort of nine eleven, the financial crisis. The the company pretty much nearly went bust, um, along with a company called Enron. And uh, so then I turned to more private equity backed um, renewable companies. And I suppose for the last twenty years or more. I've had uh, sort of three three development companies that I've been involved with, and and I was really pleased and proud that Statcraft uh, formed a partnership with our, our last one in 2017. Um, just as I say, when they were ramping up their efforts for renewable energy development, and uh, they recognised us as having a good pipeline of projects and some really great people, and and in 2019 they they liked us so much that they brought us into the to the fold, and and. Uh, me and my team joined Statcraft. So, you know, I've been in renewables and wind for, for more than 20 years. And crikey, what a change it's been. I mean, in that time, um, you know, the, the installed capacity of, of onshore wind has tripled. Um, you know, we've got more than sort of nearly nine gigawatts across Scotland now compared to maybe a couple of gigawatts in the in the beginning of this millennium. And uh, and also, as I say, the, the the scale of it is phenomenal. You know, in the in the 10 years ago, maybe one turbine might, produce enough power for a thousand households and now now it's you know more than four thousand households so the scale of the turbos and by the way as i mentioned earlier um at, at a lower cost you know we don't need a subsidy anymore um the technology has advanced so much that we can stand our own two feet was it a real leap of faith for you to get involved or did you always have this vision that this was always going to be a direction of travel that something would have to be done about our energy supplies because I, I remember the days when people would kind of scorn renewable energy and say, oh, there's never going to be enough wind, there's never you can't predict the tides, all these kind of things. And just try and you know stick with coal, stick with oil, stick with gas. You know, but I mean 20 years is a long time to 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 be building this forward. Well and yeah and it hasn't been easy. I think it was probably um you know, and again, I worked on a couple of hydroelectric schemes in in Sri Lanka and in in Uganda, and I saw saw how you know good that is. They're not without their environmental issues at all. But I think it was probably in the '90s when I was walking around Eastern Europe and looking at these these really badly polluting uh, coal fire stations and and oil plants and coal mines, and I thought, hang on, this is just this can't be the way we carry on, you know. And even then, in those days, gas gas was talked about as being the clean fuel, but you know that's clearly not without its problems too. So, and you're right. In the, it, it's only in the last five years that we can actually stand up and really talk about renewables and wind, and not have to be sort of so defensive because everyone would talk about the intermittency, the the high cost. And uh, the subsidy, and you know, but you you sort of need that. You know, there's been more subsidy poured into the to the it's the coal industry, the car industry, the oil industry, and that that's that's needed to get things off their feet and and stand on their own two feet. So it's great now to be able to 
come on things like this and and actually talk about all the positives and not have to be quite so defensive about how we needed that sort of subsidy to get us going. Um, so yeah, the, the 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 ten years up to sort of twenty ten and beyond were, were pretty tough, but still, um, projects got done. And um, and what's great now is that more projects are being built. Now the subsidy has been removed. There was a couple of years that we lost. You know, 2017 to 2019 uh, is a bit of a hiatus, but now things are, are ramping up, and that's that's exciting because you know Scotland now has pretty much all of its electricity coming from renewables. I think 97 percent or something, but but that that is only you know a small part of the battle because obviously electricity is maybe only 22% of the energy consumption for Scotland. So heat is nearly half and, and transports uh, maybe a quarter. So the next stage is to start at, uh, addressing the, the, the heat use and, and transportation. And that's where we can still play our part. We could, you know, Scotland's got a great resource. I say less than, you know, I talk about the landmass of 78,000 kilometres squared. Um, and before everyone worries about wind turbines being plastered everywhere, we, we do a very detailed assessment of that landmass and li literally only 10% or probably less than 10% of that landmass can be used for wind farms. You know, there's so many constraints with national parks and airports and cities and roads and areas of high ecological value and peat and, and, and the grid connection is important. So, you know, there's only less than 10% of the country that can be developed. But um, We've still got more to do, and we can do that to help then bring bring down those 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 levels in in transport and and heating in terms of the uh, the reliance on fossil fuels. That that trade off, though, I mean that's a that's a very important point that you raise because you know, for some people who marvel at this sort of technology behind a, a wind turbine, for for every one of them, there's going to be somebody else that thinks it's a blight on the landscape. You know how hard do you guys need to work to? get that balance of sort of nature and benefits in terms of what we're trying to achieve for carbon zero, et cetera. That is part of our um, challenge, let's say skill. It's it's tough. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's why a project, a wind project would take, or any probably, actually wind probably takes longer than most, but um, let's use wind. I know that best of all, um, you know, easily five years to, to take a project through the process. You know, we, we have, detailed desk-based um, screening of all the constraints. Uh, we then would need to do two years of bird surveys and ecological surveys. You, you, we, you know, we spent easily more than a million pounds on pulling together an environmental impact assessment, high levels of consultation with, with local people um, and scoping and then rescoping. And then eventually the planning application is made and then it can be another couple of years before that gets decided upon with, with multiple variations along the way. So these projects don't just suddenly materialize overnight. Um, and, and what's key is that the government consistently surveys um, local people and well, the, the, the people to, to, to gauge their view. And, you know, less than less than 10%, maybe 7% in the latest stats actually oppose on short wind and, you know, way more than um, three quarters support it. So there's a high level of support for for onshore wind. Um, and people know that, you know, we need to do something. So there will always be people that have concerns and we try to address those as much as possible. There will always be people that probably would rather we, we weren't there. But, um, you know, we, we have to balance the economic benefits and environmental benefits against the 
the impacts. And what we do do is actively support community benefit schemes. And we're looking at broadband initiatives to try and connect rural communities to to broadband. You know, there's been um, you know more than we've probably put more than a million pounds into community benefit schemes uh, in rural communities, which help areas where where funding is is dried up because of the current sort of economic situation we're in. So, um, you know, that's that's we we try and bring as much as we can and not notwithstanding also that, that we, we support local content um, and significant amounts of Scottish businesses, construction companies, aggregate firms, and plant hire can, can benefit from this. Um, and so there really is an eco- economic benefit nationally and locally. Um, you know, last on the community benefit last year, twenty-two million pounds, for instance, was paid on community funds across the the um, wind farms in in Scotland, um, which is significant. And what, what would you say to those people as well? I know there's a few who who worry about you know foreign-based companies coming into Scotland and you know looking to develop wind farms or offshore and what have you, as well as sort of indigenous. Countries, you know, almost like you're you're selling the family silver. It's, it's probably one I read somewhere. Um, does it need to be a collaboration, or you know, is there is there another reason that it has to be companies with this experience coming in to to support the the efforts of you know people here? Well, as I said before, we've you know we've been here for fifteen years, and we're long term um investors and 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 players in in the uk markets we are um we're re- registered in the uk where all of our projects are are uk registered companies so we we pay the taxes uh we don't have any offshore vehicles um to 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 sort of um, pull um profits off off the the island and so you know and we we employ a lot of folks so i think the the key thing is that you know in the next 10 years, we have an ambition to build 600 megawatts of wind and, and other investments into to grid services and solar too, uh, which is, you know, could be nearly a billion um, pounds sterling in, in across the next 10 years. And I think we need everybody to come and help. You know, I don't think we can just rely on on the domestic and, and the UK businesses to do that. Uh, I think we should welcome everyone in um, because, you know, we've got a big challenge to to sort of quadruple the amount of renewable electricity generation by 2050. Um, I think we're making huge strides and we, you know, we should be proud of what we've done. And the policy is there, you know, there's, it's, you know, it's now quite supportive, but, you know, the next 10 years is critical. You know, it's, uh, it's, you know, barely, you know, say, 11 years before we, you know, we, we need to beat that one and a half degree target or, or else we then enter into a, a slightly different situation. So this next 10 to 20 years is, is vital. So I think we need to welcome everybody in who's prepared to invest and, and do good, responsible projects um, as we do. Okay, well, given all the experience that's now available, given that you guys are firmly embedded and part of you know, the, the energy mix here. How can the Statcraft experience help Scotland become some kind of renewable superpower in its own right? You know, what's what specifically are you guys doing that can help Scotland meet those targets? We're just doing a number of things. I've talked about wind a lot because that's what I know most of all, but I, I, I my colleagues will, will probably um, 
not thank me if I don't mention some of the other great work that's going on. You know, for instance, we've we're investing twenty million pounds in a project at Keith uh, in Murray, and um, you know, it's, it's the UK's first commercially funded grid stability project, and this is this is going a long way to trying to make the grid and the infrastructure. 100% renewable because everyone will say you can't rely upon wind or solar because it's intermittent and we always need gas or nuclear to to prop up the system. But these facilities, and I don't I know anywhere near half the technical background to it all, but these are very clever facilities that almost simulate a, a large thermal plant being on the system and, and can stabilize the, the grid when maybe um, the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining. So we're putting... Twenty million pounds into that project in Keith, and the and the equipment's being built in in the UK. Um, we have just invested in a, an electric vehicle charging point, uh, charging company um, that is rolling you know, rolling out across the UK, and with the target of having all vehicles electric by twenty thirty five, which is only fourteen years away. You know, we're we're fully behind that. Um, uh, initiative, and again, that's going to need a lot of renewable electricity to power those those vehicles. Um, we're also have just recently um, invested and bought a company called Solar Century, which is probably the largest solar power company across Europe, maybe even the world. And so, our solar activity across England now has has increased significantly. So, we're committed here to invest invest in any. Um, renewable and sustainable business that will help us meet those those targets. You know, the net zero by 2050 in Scotland by 2045, I think it's achievable. But, you know, we need to really put our best foot forward and, and significant amounts of capital, which is available. Um, and, you know, we need to address this. You know, I think the interesting thing is, you know, now we've, now we've sort of got hopefully the COVID pandemic behind us let's hope it is and and we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel um you know if we can apply some of that amazing um willpower and resources and 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 academic brains and government policy to how we got the vaccines sorted out and managed to vaccinate everybody and if we could now just you know hopefully pat ourselves on the back a bit about that terrible pandemic and and obviously it's awful but we should say right now climate change you know mark kearney the the, the ex-governor of the bank of england said that you know there's likely to be more deaths from from climate change than than covid he said that in february so he's now raising that up to, to say that climate change is is really the next big thing that we need to deal with and i'm and, and i'm glad that you know Boris Johnson's speaking at the the the, the um, Biden summit, and I think you know that that's that could be what they've realised now too. And so it's a very exciting time, lots to do, and I think it's possible to do it. And Scotland can be at the heart of that, you know, absolutely, and and can be an exporter of renewable energy. I think we need to work on the the infrastructure so that that is able to happen. Um, and there's some, you know, there's some income coming into Scotland through building the projects and and selling clean electricity. The infrastructure it needs to be there a bit, um, and we need to probably get these projects through planning a little bit quicker. The policies there, we're we're designing them in the right place, but it takes quite a long time to to um, you know, to to get them through planning. It could take three years to get a planning decision. It's taken us. 18 months to to have a vaccination for COVID. So hang on, we need to we need to get that a bit quicker. I think. I wonder too how much of this can be 
accelerated through you know people like me the public you know because researching you know some background ahead of today's episode you know again it, it struck me how norwegians seem to be not just embracing renewables but being so proud of it almost wearing it like a, a clean energy badge somehow and i wondered how important it was winning hearts and minds of people in scotland to get them to agitate and push forward and dictate that pace of change you know i mean how do we do that what drives it you've alluded to lower bills you know cheaper transport cleaner air maybe better employment opportunities you know or even as, as you say if more, more deaths caused by climate change fear you know how how can we persuade the public or have we already persuaded the public that this is a way forward no i think that's that's a a good point, and I think that a lot of work needs to be done on that. I think the you know the national grid, for instance, is just um, pioneering this sort of green green light bulb, um, whereby you can you know, plug it in your house, and and when there's uh, when there's renewable energy um, providing you know, power to your house, the, the light bulb turns green, so you can sort of opt to to maybe run your tumble dryer or run your your um, washing machine when your light bulb's glowing green i think awareness is important i think they're talking about putting green number plates on electric vehicles so people are aware of of low emissions i think there's loads more we can do there smart metering has to has to come you know it's it's, it's insane that you've got your mobile phone telling you how many you know steps you've done and and what your heart rate is and your blood pressure and and oxygen levels and but it can't tell you how much power you're consuming in the house and you know people will, i think people will embrace that but there just needs to be i think some this is where the government can play a part i suppose with supporting private sector to come in and and just go go that little extra way now the policies in place we've there's the people on the ground like like me and my team developing projects i'm sure there's mil millions or hundreds of of really clever smart people doing all sorts of other green initiatives and i think they just need to bridge that gap between policy um and the people on the ground doing the projects and i, I think people do want it there's the stats and the polls show you know more than three quarters of the people are concerned about this and um but they, they they're not given the tools or the information to try and do something about it and at the end of the day it, it will help them reduce their electricity bills as well so that's you know that's got to help um and so i think there just needs to be a uh, i don't know whether it's a task force or you know but again maybe we, a lot of these lessons from from covid can can apply you know we just need to get a, a dedicated team to really bridge that gap and and try and kickstart you know that our, our action um which is because domestic heating and transportation, um, you know, are the areas to attack. You know, a lot of people talk about air travel, and that is a, a bad thing, of course. But air travel is 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 not such a huge percentage of the problem. It's it's, it's our, our homes, you know, inefficient homes, um, and perhaps you know, transportation. You know, hydrogen is certainly something Statcraft's investing in as well, and that I think is a it could be a game changer for long distance uh, freight and and shipping i think that that is is going to happen um but i think it's the domestic homes um and and the heating um of that and and and, and the industries which i think needs needs a lot more attention on specifically on the homes and, and the heating homes where are the the main problems there is it is it the fact we're still building in the same way is it the fact you know we're too slow at retrofitting 
Um, do we need to look at maybe smaller scale solutions like district heating or throwing up a shared turbine at the end of the street? You know, how how do we you know, make this happen faster? Yeah, and I think again, Scotland have done really well here with it and, and supporting the, the local energy Scotland initiative, and it does give people access to information and and funding to try and do small scale schemes. Of course, everything helps. You know, there's it's not just the large scale big projects. Everything will help. Um, and so, you know, there's been so many different initiatives. You know, and the green home initiative and the roof insulation initiative, and unfortunately, the, the sort of roof mounted. Um, Solar panels, which I think is a good good idea, that all of the support for that has has disappeared. So, um, you know, I think it, it's it's again it's back to my other point about the, you need the information, ideally some some support with the funding, um, somewhere or another, and because um, I think people are willing to do it. Um, you know, the, the houses are poorly insulated, and um, you know, it, it, and. It seems crazy, for instance, I've just done a bit of refurbishment in my house and you you sort of have to pay VAT when you refurbish a house. But if I knocked it down and built it from scratch, then you, you don't pay VAT. So, you know, that, that, that's not the right incentive to talking more about probably recycling and reusing here, isn't it really? But, you know, that's, that seems a perverse incentive. So I think there's there's ways of of helping you know because they were willing i guarantee it the majority of the public are are desperate to do something but aren't really being helped or given the tools to do to do that it seems it seems as if then we need some kind of consistency we need to be able to enable people to to do this you know so we have COP 26 will be coming up you know november this year in some form or other whether it's in person or you know, or virtual. Is that the moment that we can address all these other issues? Or, I mean, what what do you hope to see emerging from from that platform? Yeah, and that's that's great timing in in a way, isn't it? I hope it does happen. Um, you know, it was delayed from last year, so I, I think it's I think it's great timing. And whether it, whether there's an Greta Thunberg was suggesting it should be delayed a year, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think probably it's probably best to keep it this year in whatever form because we just need to really, you know, we can't lose another year. Um, and you know that you can see that the mood music is already going sort of in the right direction with with you know Biden and Johnson and the Scottish government's policies. You know, for specifically for for Scotland, um, we're waiting now on uh, something called the you know the National Planning Framework for NPF four. Okay, a bit technical here, uh, which is the new uh, planning guidance, um, which has been consulted on and uh, in the in the making for a while. We hope that will be issued in the summer or, or autumn in time for COP26, which will, as I said earlier, just take all of the high level policy and, and direction of travel and put it into and help the people on the ground from the government bodies and, and statutory consultees to to do projects and 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 place the correct emphasis and have a more of a uh, leaning towards supporting as opposed to always trying to find reasons to object so that's what i would hope specifically for for um, cop 26 but of course you know i think it's exciting you know us and china have already agreed to cooperate to tackle the climate crisis um you know we've we've had all this new policy uk has just now 
um, approve the, the sixth carbon budget from the Climate Change Committee. So I think all of the all of the direction of travel is going in the right way, and and it's very good timing, and and it's fantastic. It's in Glasgow, and it's great to showcase what Glasgow and Scotland have done for renewable energy. Um, and I'm pretty sure you know it will be a success, and probably some 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 real firm commitments will will come out of it. We will though have to address what remains the elephant in the room as well, though. Because Scotland, like Norway, it's still active in exploration for oil and gas. You know, it's what's kept the countries rich. You know, some economic policies have been based on that. Can you see some kind of future when? renewables really does replace us you know it stops the need for it and if so what will be that tipping point is it markets is it driven by consumers is it flat out climate does it have to be political you know how does renewables become the alpha in this partnership well, the fact of the matter is that fossil fuels are finite. Uh, they're not renewable. You know, there, there will be a time when they will run out um, and and coal is certainly gone. And it's great that we're not using that anymore. So uh, so the fact that they are finite means that the, the transition, you know, has to happen. There's, there's laws set down in the Scottish government, the UK government, to be net zero by, you know, 2045 for Scotland. Um, so, you know, the only way of doing that is to actually support more renewable energy um, to balance that, that that out. There will be emissions still made. We can't phase out fossil fuels probably in the short term, um, but the, you know that has to be balanced out by more renewables. So, tipping point, I don't know. Um, electric vehicles, you know, you know, will clearly be a significant point, which is you know twenty thirty five, so fourteen years. I think there will be a steady progression um, and a phase out of of oil and gas, you know, um, and certainly when we hopefully use less plastics. Um, and as renewable energy gets cheaper, and as I say, we onshore wind uh, is significantly cheaper than any other form. And and now with the turbines that we have, especially the taller ones, you know, probably four times as productive in terms of uh, electricity. Um, output so that has happened it's already happened you know perhaps we've already gone past the tipping point perhaps we're heading that way um you know there's no coal generation in the country at all that was the tipping point coal doesn't exist anymore as a form of power generation that's fantastic i guess that's part that's part of the point though you know they're still given an approval for you know coal extraction and then and then you know you, you have um you know, licenses still being granted for exploration in, in the North Sea. So your, your point's absolutely right. You know, the the way coal was used isn't there anymore. And for some reason, this, this has been approved. You know, oil and gas will run out. You're absolutely right. It's, it's finite. But it seems at odds with the desire to reach these carbon net zero levels to then agree new exploration on top of what's already there you know some people might want to wait until the oil and gas runs out in the fields that are already exist but yet we're still saying go ahead take your rig out go and have a look when all that money all that effort could be poured into renewables for all the reasons that, that you say you know 
new kind of cars, new kind of heating. The new demand, the demand of tomorrow, seems to be already in place. Yet some people are still looking backwards. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and although I talked about you know government policy all being you know very positive, there's there's still you know a reasonable minority of people within government um, that are very skeptical that renewable energy can deliver um, 100% of what what we need. There's, there's clearly, you know, coal lobbies, oil and gas lobbies, especially in the US. And this will be, you know, a huge challenge for Biden in, in the US, of course. And that's what Trump, you know, was did, did, did the opposite. So I'm not saying, you know, this, I'm not saying this isn't going to be difficult. And I think you're right. Some of these decisions seem to be at odds with the policy and hopefully the prime minister will be explained that's the case um and might change and and maybe that cop 26 could be you know that that trigger as well so hang on you know how can you do this on one hand and do this on the other it doesn't make sense so um but you know they've a decent majority at Westminster, those um, those minority of the government MPs that maybe support coal and oil and gas and, and hate renewables, you know, perhaps they their voice will be heard less. Uh, and, and once Johnson's got this pandemic behind him, uh, he can really focus on this and realise that, you know, it just doesn't stack up um, to do this. Uh, it's not it's not in 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 keeping with the, what we need to do. So um, that, that could be, you know, the next thing in the next two or three years that they really need to get their heads around. I think you're buying on in terms of that narrative politically as well, because here in Scotland, we're in the grip of our, the Scottish elections. You know, we're we're only a couple of weeks away from casting our votes on, on May the 6th. I'm, I'm curious, I mean, it's been dubbed the, the climate election because the amount of chat that's now ongoing about you know, reaching net zero, it's it's new black, you know. Everybody seems to have on their lips renewables, renewables, renewables. How heartened are you and your colleagues in the industry about the fact that, that it has become so prominent in such a major political campaign? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's fantastic. And I've seen some of that and heard some of that. Um, it, it's great um, on from all sides um, of the political spectrum. Um, it, it probably may not happen quite so much down south, but certainly in Scotland, that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah, exactly. It goes back to what I said maybe right at the beginning. And, and when I started out my career in, in, the, in, the, in the early 2000s, um, you know, you were constantly battling against, you know, um, naysayers and, and technical experts who say this can't be done. And, you know, what are you doing? This is all sort of where, where are your sandals and your, your beard? And, and, you know, you, this is just not going to, work um now for it to be embraced and even you know big companies even the oil majors are now stepping into it so it's sort of a bit bit again strange that they've suddenly <laughs> pretending to be so green but you know at least they're embracing it i guess um so everyone wants a piece of it um which is which is very heartening um but we just need to translate that into into action and i think what's what's beginning to emerge now is in in replacement for the subsidy is that these large energy users you know um are beginning to want to contract for the power purchase agreements which i mentioned so they want to put in place you know long-term contracts to buy green electricity and it might be a little bit um you know higher than the current market price because obviously the market price electricity is very volatile it dropped hugely you know when the 
economies slowed down last year and so they used to just buy electricity in the short-term market and make the most of it but now you can lock in a, a 10 or 15 year power purchase agreement at a pretty decent price and it's 100% green and we're finding more and more of the large energy users are doing that which is which is also very heartening and so if you've got an investment grade you know person to buy your electricity and you've got an investment grade company like Statcraft um, building the facility then you know that is that is a great uh, a great great thing for the country um, so let's hope it it, it turns out um, in practice uh, but the next two or three years are critical and we will see whether it does or not I'm maybe going to unfairly put you on the spot here a little bit then you're in a you're in a room with all Scotland's political hopefuls specifically leaderships who are putting forward the policies what's your one ask? from them in terms of what you'd like to see them deliver in government in coalition as a parliament yeah one okay one well it's i think i I touched on it earlier i think um you know we i think they kind of need to trust us to know that we are doing our job as best as we possibly can to make sure the projects we do are in the right place and they're designed right the they they we then have a lot of consultation we need quicker decisions on on planning um it's it's it doesn't seem right that it should take take us two or three years to put our our dossier together of more than 2000 pages of of evidence and then take another two or three years to decide it so quicker decisions are required and also that's not just the projects themselves i think grid capacity is the bottleneck in scotland too so um the consenting of overhead lines and so um, you i'm doing three asks now um the, the what we have as well is a bit of a penalty for scotland grid charging you know we get we have to pay extra um charges for, to connect uh, in Scotland as opposed to the rest of the UK because it's further away from the lows. So that gets get quite expensive too. So Scotland's got a fantastic wind resource. They've got lots of great um, um, areas to, to do projects, but we end up paying a lot of money for connecting them to the grid and then, and then you know, the annual grid charge. So I think sort out planning and, uh, and let's try and get the grid um, network also in good order for the 21st century. I guess to put I guess to put all that into context as well, from what you're saying about the five year wait to get something through, you know, including the three years that you mentioned there, that's pretty much the term of a parliament. <laughs> there could be a new government by the time you get one application through. So that's that's quite sobering to think about. Well, and, and exactly, and in, in the in sort of in the UK government, we had that problem in 2015 when you know the the, the David Cameron's government came in, and and then everything changed when it came to Brexit and scrapping the the onshore wind subsidy. That was a annus horribilis for for me and my guys in 2015 and 2016 when that all happened. So um, yeah, it's it's still very politically exposed, um, uh, but hopefully not go anymore. Okay, well, let's assume it all comes good. You know, we we get on that path where we do hit 100% renewables. The one thing we perhaps haven't touched on is all the marvellous technological achievements that have come along the way here and how we've evolved the industry through that. But if you were looking at your crystal ball, you know, where's it all going to take us? You know, what kind of Scotland are we going to have? 
you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Is it, is it flying cars? What is it? Yeah, I think I'll give you a bit of a, a, a boring answer, I think. You know, I don't think it's going to be flying cars or hoverboards or teleportation or anything like that. Um, you know, I think, you know, when I've, I've been around a while now, if you look back, you know, 30-odd years ago when I started out, you know, wind wind energy was the stuff of, you know, kids' TV programs like Windy Miller and stuff and solar power science fiction. Um, you know, even 20 years ago, you know, mobile phones and internet, you know, okay, that's a big change. The digital revolution sort of happened and started happening. So looking forward, I don't see any major transformation uh, such, you know, because actually we don't have to look forward very far to to make sure things happen. But looking, look, if I look forward 20 years compared to looking backwards 20 years, I think it is all about the fact that, that by then the electric vehicles will have to be built. That's 2035. That's only 14 years away. I think smart homes, you know, smart meters, smart homes, using the internet to try and power homes more efficiently. That has to be an everyday occurrence. And, you know, you have to be sort of shamed if you don't have a smart meter and you haven't got an app and you haven't remembered to, to turn off your boiler when you go out the house. Um, and I think better sort of interconnection of the the, the, the power networks. Um, you know, the, the whole structure has been designed on large thermal plants on the coast. We need to make it much more flexible and, and you know, the, the, the trading of electricity across borders, and that can be a real valuable export for Scotland. So um, I hope that, you know, when we, you know, I've got, you know, three kids and two two stepsons, you know, five five kids, and hopefully when I might have grandchildren, um, you know, we talk about burning petrol to drive cars and, and coal-fired power stations. That might be like we... We look back to the the pea soup fogs in in London, or even those sort of industrial images of the of the nineteenth century. I think, how on earth could people live in those sort of conditions? How, that's just insane. It's almost like smoking as well. You know, there's, there's a there's a crowd. Why would you put a burnt bit of poison in your mouth and suck it in? It? Yeah. So, I think that's that's the mindset change. You know, because and so electric vehicles, smart meters will be everyday things. So I'm afraid I can't come up with some wacky invention like flying cars um sounds too dangerous to me but um i think uh, i think that's all we need to do is just use that as you know the the smart meters electric vehicles better you know transportation of electricity around the markets and and you know hopefully then we get to our targets which i'm sure we're well, sure we will by 2045. Well, I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that we can chat to each other like this hundreds of miles away from each other. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this episode. So a very, very big thank you to Richard Marden, Head of Business and Project Development Onshore and Solar for Statcraft UK. Also thanks to today's producer, Mark Wilson, and to editor, Stephen Emerson. Mostly, of course, thanks to you all for listening. If you have any comments, ideas or suggestions for future episodes of the show, please just drop us a line or message us on Twitter at The Scotsman. And please, please do subscribe to Sustainable Scotland wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>